having uh, us today. You're so welcome. It's so good to have you amongst, amongst us. Um, a couple of weeks ago when we had church, um, I met a guy. He was here for one Sunday, and he, he probably won't be coming back. He's from another part of the country. And we just had a five-minute conversation, and it was like he's a brother. So um, if you are visiting, you are so welcome in that same way. Um, I hope you're enjoying your, uh, your summer break and try not to eat too much. Watching your carb intake, getting lots of exercise and drinking, eating healthily. So um, I'm trying my best. But um, This morning, um, I'm, I get the privilege of kicking us off in our summer series, which uh, is titled No Well-Worn Paths. Um, and there's Nat on a well-worn path looking for a not well-worn path, but there he is there. Um, and so each week we'll be, we'll be following uh, a biblical character who has broken new ground in God and has heard God's word for a really challenging calling over their life and has responded with great faith. And uh, we find these Bible characters inspirational in a time where we're just relaxing and getting refreshed in God. It's great to be inspired by them. Um, these kinds of stories usually begin with God speaking declaring his intent over a situation or over a person. This is what I want to do in this community. This is what I want to do in you. And what I want to look at today is how we are to respond to that sort of word. When he comes and speaks purpose and intent into your life and says, this is what I want to do in you. How do we steward that? How do we receive that? And then how do we step out in faith in that word? Because if we're going to go down a new path, if we're going to break new ground, it's going to be in response to God saying, this is what I want to do in you. Amen? The character that I want to look at this morning, who I think is absolutely inspirational and one of the most amazing characters of faith in the Bible, is none other than Jesus' mum, Mary. That's our own uh, Kiwi Keisha Castle Hughes as well. But Mary is, is, is humble, she's ordinary, yet God's grace was so heavily on her life. And she is an inspirational character to look at, not just at Christmas time, eh? She received an impossible and costly calling by God and responded with such intense and rich faith. I, I just want to learn more from her example. She is a, she is a brilliant uh, character of faith in the Bible. And so we're going we're gonna to look, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to look at um, Luke chapter 1, verses uh, 26 to 38. And what I'm going to do, I've actually left my Bible. Sorry, honey, can you, is that up there? Um, what we're going to do is just read a couple of verses at a time. I'll read it off the screen, that's all right. Uh, and, just, and just pick out some learnings about receiving God's word and then stepping out in it. Cool, so verse, we'll start in verse 26 of chapter 1. I've got it up on the screen as well if, if, uh, if you don't have your Bible or you've got a different translation. So in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now just to start off, Nazareth and Mary, these are ordinary places. These are ordinary people. I want you to think like Roger from Lower Hutt. You know? I want you to think like Jane from Thai Happy. I mean, sorry for any Rogers or Janes here today, but that, that is, we're so used to these stories and stained glass windows and on films and things like that, we, we forget the rawness of it. This is just an ordinary person from an ordinary town. There are so many Marys in the Bible. There were so many Marys back then. And of Nazareth, one person said, Nazareth? 
It's like, what good can come from that place? You know, it's like, ugh, ordinary. The, the learning here is that God calls ordinary people into great purposes. He does. So when he speaks something over your life, if your response is, oh, I don't really feel special enough for that, that's precisely why God wants to use you. Don't let your ordinariness cause doubt in your heart. So if God's spoken something in you, that he's not going to use you for it. Your ordinariness will only glorify God when people look at you and go, well, that must have been God. I'm reading a biography, fascinating biography at the moment about Mother Teresa. Some people who had encounters with her earlier on in her life, the only thing they remember her for, this is Mother Teresa, the only thing they remember her for was her inability to light candles properly during the various ceremonies or masses. She was incapable. She was fumbling around the place. Nobody special. Yet God got hold of her and did an amazing thing through her. Hundreds of thousands of the poorest of the poor reached through her. She was a Mary from Nazareth. So, ordinary. The next thing, though, is this phrase... Mary was, and, and, and Joseph were from the house of David. They were ordinary, but they were also royalty. Of the house of, I mean, of the line of David, the greatest king of God's people, who God said, David had a, had a heart after my own heart. He was a great man, and he had it on his heart to build a dwelling place for God. And God said to this king, well, you won't, but your son will. And he will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, and I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. That is the promise that was over the house of David. An eternal kingdom, God as father. I mean, these are wonderful truths. And you know what? Because Mary and Joseph were in the line of David, they were in line to receive those amazing promises over their life. They were ordinary but they were also royalty. So they were in line for God to say, this is what I want to do in you. Now, we are not to forget who we are. We are not to forget whose we are. Because if you are in Christ, you are royalty. You are God's child. And as God's child, you are in line for great promises and purposes in God. So when he speaks, hey, I want to do this in you. I want to do this in you. We need to get out of Nazareth and go, I'm a child of God. I'm royalty. I'm in line. Through God's family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's what we were singing about this morning. That's what you are in line for as royalty. See, the problem with King, uh, King Saul, who was David's predecessor, was that he was too small in his own mind. He got the fact that he was from Nazareth. I'm ordinary. Who am I? But he couldn't get the fact that actually he was royalty. So when God spoke to him and decreed him a king and said, go and do this, he hid in the luggage. He hid away. He disobeyed God because he couldn't get out of Nazareth. So in Mary, we learn this interesting tension, ordinary yet royalty. And it's the same for every believer. Yep, you're ordinary. God will use you powerfully. But also you are royalty. Amen? I think it's a brilliant lesson to learn through Mary. Moving on, verse 28 to 30. An angel came to her. Greetings, O favoured one. 
the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled. Skip to 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. A commentator on the Greek here says that the Greek carries the sense of one who has been favored with grace, favored with undeserved favor. Mary is not earning God's favor. She is the recipient of God's unexpected, undeserved, and overwhelming grace. Now, there's God's favor was on her because he loved her. She didn't earn it. She was a recipient of God's grace. Now, any calling or fruitfulness or purpose that you receive is first and foremost as a recipient of God's grace, his lavish favor on you. And so as you walk in that, and as you walk in that blessing, as you receive that blessing, you know what? It says more of God's goodness than it does of your credentials. But that's okay, because God is a loving God who loves to pour out his grace. So as you step out on purpose, as you step out, know that it's God's undeserved favor on your life. And that actually equips you to receive more of God's grace and do what he has called you to do. That's why the Bible says he gives grace to the humble, those who know that every good and perfect gift comes from him. So as you step out in this culture, as you step out in that calling, as you step out in that workplace, know that it's God's favor on your life. You don't have to strive for it. You just receive it and receive more from him. All right? He gives grace to the humble. Grace, humility, and favor prepare us to receive amazing and impossible words from God. And know it's his goodness. Embracing these promises is embracing his goodness. Yes. Amen? Yes. Just as a bit of homework, if you Google a preach called Grace 3.0 by a guy called Phil Moore, brilliant about being fruitful by grace, and I'd encourage you if you're driving around in the summer to have a listen to that as a bit of a backdrop. But moving on, verse 31. Behold, says the angel, behold. And then gives her this amazing prophetic word that will change her life. You're going to conceive, even though you're a virgin, this child will be the son of God. He will be called great. He will sit on David's throne, and he will have an eternal kingdom. Anyone ever received a word like that before? I mean, that would change things a little bit for you, wouldn't it? Can I just say, please expect impossible words from God this year. Can we make that our benchmark? Impossible words? Because that is the business that God is in, doing impossible things through us. Yeah. That, that, that's, that. Can that be our benchmark this year? Yeah. Impossible things. Yeah. Well, that sounds impossible. Yeah, it must be of God then. Mm. In a recent preach by Bill Johnson, he says, everything that God has intended to do in and through you is absolutely impossible. If you're not overwhelmed by your assignment, you haven't seen your assignment. It is to put us in a place of absolute dependency so he can work in and through us to display himself as the God of the impossible. This is the design of God for every person. He basically says if you feel adequate for your assignment, that's the problem. <laughs> you haven't seen your assignment. There are amazing prophetic words and amazing promises in the Bible over this church, over individuals in this church, and I just want to challenge us, is our benchmark high enough this year? Are you going for the impossible? Are you relying on God? And that unless he comes through, 
That's what I, I, want, I want to nurture words in my life like that this year. So what will our response to these kind of words be? I'm really interested because what's, what did Mary, what was Mary's response? She asked the question, how will this be since I am a virgin? It's fascinating because her relative Zechariah, who also had an encounter with the same angel, who also told him that there was going to be a miraculous birth, they basically gave the same answer to the angel. How will this be? Zechariah said the same thing. How will this be? My wife is barren. And Mary said, how will this be? You know, they got two very different responses. Zechariah got rebuked for his unbelief and told that he was going to be silent until the, until the baby was born. And Mary got an answer and a, and a greater revelation of what God was doing. What that tells me is it's not in the asking, you know, we're okay to inquire of God about these words, but Mary must have asked the question with a different sort of heart, with a trusting and a believing heart, that even though she was inquiring, she believed that God could come through on his promises. Zechariah, on the other hand, really interesting if you unpack his response, the angel says to Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. So in other words, he had been praying into God's word for a long time. Lord, please give me a child. But by the time the answer came, and we can assume it was decades later, his heart was full of disappointment and disbelief. So somewhere along the line, he let disappointment and discouragement enter his heart that almost hindered him from receiving the very thing that he was going for. So God had to say, you know what, I'd rather you just be quiet and watch what I will do in you. But Mary was different. To use Romans chapter 4 language, she did not waver in unbelief. Romans chapter 4 talks about Abraham, who's in very good company with Zechariah and Mary. And God promised Abraham that he would be the father of many. He was 100 years old and he had no kids. (laughs) Yet Romans chapter 4 says, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body as good as dead. He was about 100 or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith and gave glory to God. Listen to this. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised to do. See, what I learned from Mary, what I learned from Abraham, is that it's about my view of God. It's about how I see him. Is he able to come through? Yes, they said, yes, he is able. But what I also learned is that it's okay to dialogue with God over these words in our life. It's okay to face the facts. God, you said I was going to bless people. My bank account is empty. Lord, you said I was going to enter into this. Everything so far has been a shut door. It's okay to dialogue with God. But what we need to guard ourselves against is distrust and disbelief that God is able to do what he said he was able to do. So our prayers look something like this. Like, God, you said that I will be a financial blessing to people. My bank account is empty. Those are the facts, yet I am not wavering. You are the God who provides, and I'm trusting in you. Those are the kinds of prayers that he encourages us to pray. And you know when we do that, we can actually expect him to reveal more to us. I mean, Mary prayed this way, or, or you know, inquired this way, and more was revealed to her. God did not say, who are you to ask? Who, who are you to question me, you know? He said, oh, no, you know, because Mary trusted in him, in, uh, in him. And so that encourages me. 
to dialogue with God, but keep, just guard my heart and say, Lord, you're able. But if you struggle with unbelief, I would just encourage you to just invite someone into your life and share that with them and, and pray with God and ask, ask him to show you what part of his nature, what part of his character have you been doubting? Because ultimately it goes back not to the word, but to who God is. We have to go back to him. God, you are able. God, you are loving. God, you can provide. So disappointment and discouragement in our heart can often say something of our misconception about God. Ask him to, to show you what lie you are believing. Amen? And so she gets this answer. Well, how is it going to come about? The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Skip down a few verses, 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary's question is basically, God, how are you going to do the impossible in me? These are the facts. I'm a virgin. How how will this come about? And God's answer is quite simple, really. It will be God in you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Can I just say, this isn't specifically explaining a miraculous conception. This is a word for all believers. How will God do the impossible in you? Well, it will be God's presence in you. So if I want to stir myself and step out in faith and pray for someone to be healed this year, it's going to be God in me. Working through my ordinary frame, It'll be God in me. It'll be the Holy Spirit overshadowing me. Same for Mary, same for the apostles. They're up on the mountain of transfiguration. The Holy Spirit comes and overshadows them. Same if they're disciples in the early church. The Holy Spirit came and filled them. It'll be God in us this year. How are these impossible words going to come about? God in you. So Paul can say we have this treasure, God in us, in jars of clay. You know, this ordinary frame to show that the surpassing power belongs not to us, but to God. Amen? Amen. So moving on, verse 38. Mary said, his famous response, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to what you've said. Now, this is a small phrase for Mary to say, but it's got big implications for her. I mean, think about it. By saying, yep, let it be as you've said, she is basically signing up to a lifetime of this thing hanging over her of, you know, you had an illegitimate child. She was signing up to be a pregnant, unwed teenage mother. That's what she was signing up for. But she says, let it be to me according to your word. You see, Mary trusted God, even though she would face the scandal and rejection of appearing to have an illegitimate child, born out of wedlock. And if you read John's Gospels, when he's debating with his opponents, we see this hung over him for a long time, actually, because there's one part where his opponents say to him, hey, we're not illegitimate children, wink, wink, you know, we weren't born out of wedlock, wink, wink. So it's the stigma that hung over him. You know, oh, your mum was a virgin when when you were born, eh? Like... (laughs) It was something that hung over, but she was willing to go down that path because what she knew is that even a pathway that appeared undesirable, if God was saying, go down that path, she knew that would be the most fruitful thing for her to do. Contrast that to Eve in the garden. What happened to her? In the Garden of Eden, God says, don't eat that fruit from that tree, it'll end in death. 
She looked at the tree and said, that fruit looks good to the eye. It looks nice. If I eat it, I'll be wise. That's a desirable way. And so she ate, even though it ended to death. See, Mary and Eve are really interesting characters to study in the choices that they made. But what it all came down to is whether they would trust God's word for the best walk for their life. And there's Jesus in the garden before the cross who says, if there's any other way, please, Lord, yet not my will be done, but yours. I mean, the cross wasn't exactly the most desirable path for Jesus, was it? But he had learned this faith from his mother that said, let it be to me according to what you've said. And I find that challenging because I've got to be honest with you, I wrestle with this at times. God's like, don't do that or do this. And I'm like, why would I want to do that? Or why wouldn't I want to do that? What it comes down to is trusting in God despite appearances. When Mary says, as one commentator says, when Mary says, let it, to be, let it be to me as you've said, she surrenders herself absolutely to God's will. Let God's will be done. And her response is therefore perhaps the best definition of faith in the Bible, the desire for God's word to become reality in our life. I want to, at times I wrestle with that like Jacob, but I just want to lay it down like Mary and say, you know what, let it be to me according to what you've said. So impossible words, but the pathway to that might be a little bit different than what you thought it was going to be, but are you going to trust God when he leads you that down that way? Amen? So just to conclude, just to wrap up, Mary, to me, is a great example of faith to be inspired by. And she was ordinary, yet royalty. She was highly favoured, full of grace. She believed impossible words without doubting and was able to dialogue with God over them. She knew that to achieve the impossible, she would have to be empowered by God, and she submitted to God's way. But can I just say, in finishing... Trusting and believing God for his word is bigger than just about an assignment for your life or a purpose or a task or something to be done this year. It's actually about salvation and eternal life. You see, the world and life within it is full of sin and death. And that's as a result of the fall. And do you know what the fall was? Nothing other than Adam and Eve doubting God's word over them of this is the way to go. This is the way of life. The alternative appeared better and they did not trust God. That's what it boiled down to. And you know what? 2019, it's the same in our life now. Sin is simply living outside of God's loving word of your, in your life. So Jesus says, if you try and save your life, if you grasp onto that thing, you will lose it. You will lose your life. But if you lose your life, for me, if you lay it down, take up your cross and follow me, you know what? You'll find life. More than that, you'll find eternal life. So don't lean on your own understanding this morning. Trust in Him. And if you, if, if you haven't experienced this love in your heart, if, you have, if, you've, if you've been walking your own way and it's ended up in misery and death, well, maybe it's time today to lay down your life and follow Christ. So Romans chapter 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
So as we stand and Sam's going to lead us through a song, I just invite you to respond in your heart. Perhaps you don't know Christ in this way at all. I'd encourage you to say, God, you know best. I give my life to you. Let it be to me according to your word. And you can respond to Christ today and we can pray with you and you can, you can receive him into your heart today. Otherwise, if you are believing God for big things this year, hey, let's trust in him. Let's go for the impossible. Let's, let's, let's be strong in faith and let's know that it's God working in us. Amen? Let's stand.